Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 161. We are recording on September 15th. I'm Sharika Williams, reunited with Jen Northington. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're doing a little bit of a fun one. We're talking about our rewatch and reread, at least I had to reread it, The Hitchhiker's Guide <laughs> to the Galaxy, of course, the novel by Douglas Adams, which was adapted into a film seemingly one Along million with, years ago. Well, I know. Yeah. And like a billion other things. Yeah, exactly. Was it the most adapted sci-fi property in like the history of ever? It might be. It yeah. Might if be. not, it definitely feels like it. After yes. <laughs> looking through all of the different types of adaptations and adaptations that were going to happen and didn't happen, mm. it was, it's a lot. We'll we'll talk about that too. <laughs> well, before we get to talking about the film and the book, I'm going to tell you about a little something we've got going on over at Substack. Uh, the Deep Dive is a Substack publication we have created. We're writing for casual and power readers alike over there. And you can find weekly stories that inform and inspire readers. And it, of course, it's drawn from our collective experience as power readers, teachers, librarians, booksellers, bookish professionals. We all come from so many bookish spaces that we just have a lot of knowledge and thoughts and ideas and opinions to share. And some of those stories have included a brief history of chain letters, a behind the scenes look at being Book Riot's managing editor, which is always fun for me to read from somebody (laughs) else's perspective. And the anatomy of an Obama summer reading list. Paid subscribers also get access to exclusive content, including a mega list of books our readers think you should add to your TBR and so much more like community features. And during this month, the month of September, all new free subscribers will be entered to win Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler, which is a favorite of Mm -hmm. Book Riot readers, lots of readers, and the two of us as well, Um, plus five mystery books from the Deep Dive. So if you want to enter, all you have to do is start a free subscription to the Deep Dive. There is no payment method required to enter, and you can do so at bookriot.substack.com. Again, that's bookriot.substack.com, and again, no purchase is necessary to enter. All right, so we're going to get to news, but before we do, let's hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. 
But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Elena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, um, I'm going to kick us off, and this <laughs> I wanted to bring up this story not because I believe it to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I think you probably know which one I'm starting with. I do. <laughs> because I have been hearing so much about aliens lately. There's like a resurfacing of big interest in aliens and UFOs lately. And there was this story that came out a few days ago and it's reported on over at NPR by Ider Peralta. And it's basically talking about how a UFOologist, I think that's how you pronounce that, claims to show two alien corpses to Mexico's Congress. And of course I had to click on it. I think the link, I am almost certain the link was in like one of my reputable newsletters that I read every morning, like possibly the morning by the New York Times. But I was like, what is going on here? So of course I click on the story and I read about this and there is... A person, a self-described UFOologist who brought in two caskets to the congressional chambers, showed these, you know, supposed aliens, which look very much like, you know, you definitely get E.T. phone home vibes looking at these uh, aliens. And they were supposedly found, um, they're estimated to be a thousand years old. And they're supposedly not mummies, Mm -hmm. but they were found, um, they're thought to be ancient Peruvian mummies or manipulated mummies is what this story is saying. So I was just like, I've been fascinated reading all of the different headlines about, you know, UFOs and especially because they're you know, this isn't an isolated incident of somebody bringing attention to something alien related in Congress or in the political arena. Um, And there were some people who came to speak on the issue, including Ryan Graves, who's the executive director of the Americans for Safe Aerospace Organization, and was one of the veterans who testified in front of the U.S. Congress um, subcommittee that is investigating the existence of UFOs, and then later was like, you know what, I, I kind of don't want to be associated <laughs> with this story with um, these supposed aliens. I just wanted to bring attention to the fact that there are unidentified, you know, spacecraft or whatever right that we don't know about so i just think it's fascinating i don't really know what it is that spurred so much sudden interest it just feels like now i'm hearing about Mm. aliens and ufos in the news 
all the time. I don't know about you. It it is showing up all over the place, and like you know, I find it uh, sort of. I don't know if the word is fun, but like this is like Mexico's <laughs> Congress and our Congress has done other things. And like, it's like not just us. Yeah. Um, of course it's not. Uh, also like weirdly correct for today's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I know. <laughs> I mean, listen, I am on the side of like, it is bananas to believe that we are the only life in the mm-hmm. universe. Like, I think that's bananas to believe that we're like that special that there's no other life out there however i do also think it's bananas to believe that the life would look like we expected it to automatically like maybe but more likely not because the universe is huge and we are only one tiny little bit of it and the idea that like life has to look like something that we can recognize and that looks similar enough to us (laughs) to be recognizable seems silly so that's where I stand. So I'm like, that's probably not an alien. But, you know, <laughs> I do believe that we are not alone. So I'm like a both and person on this one. I like I don't yeah. think that's an alien, but I also don't think that we're alone. So that's where I fall on this one. I absolutely agree with that. I also just I it's very hard to believe we are the only, yeah, you know, intelligent life forms out there and whatnot. But. You know, like, who knows? Like, we we don't even know what types of materials, biologically or otherwise, can be created. And it's just, it is fascinating and entertaining. And I will continue to read these stories. And hope that we find something real. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's see. I have a couple of like quick ones. Let me jump into this cool thing that uh, showed up in my inbox um, from the Ursula K. Le Guin Foundation. Mm -hmm. Uh, They recently announced that LitHub is going to be running a series of short films um, that are based on director Ar- Arwen Curry's project, um, a feature-length documentary about Ursula Le Guin that happened back in 2016, which I watched. Side note, it was great. <laughs> it was fantastic. Loved it. Loved all about it. Um, so, And like they couldn't fit all of the documentation that they got all of the documentation, all of the like <laughs> things that they documented. That's what I wanted to yes. say into the documentary. Um, so they've taken some of that material and are making this short serial uh, film project um, called The Journey That Matters that has started. And uh, it opens with like, you know, always timely um, Le Guin reading from an essay about a legal abortion that she experienced as a senior at Radcliffe. Um, And it's a really, you know, intense moment. Um, I'll drop a link to where you can find them on LitHub or at least the very first one. And you can sign up for a newsletter. There's all kinds of stuff um, where places you can get all this stuff. But yeah, I am always a fan of Le Guin whatever (laughs) yeah and so I thought this was cool have you seen any of these yet or did you didn't watch the documentary did you I have not watched the documentary this reminded me that it even existed I'm terrible at actually watching the thing but I love it when there is so much footage of something like especially obviously when it's of interest to me uh, Mm -hmm. about a subject that is 
of interest. And I love it when they just have too much stuff and they find a really great way to like share that, you know, it doesn't just end up on the cutting room floor lost Mm. to time. So it's always exciting um, to see that there is more about Le Guin out there in the world. And I definitely have to get on top of watching this documentary and then all of the other bits and pieces that follow. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, did you have another short one or do you want me to go in? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's let's do another short one while we're here. Uh, I just, also on LitHub, actually, is the uh, long list for the National Book Awards for Fiction for this year. And that was just announced uh, at the time of this recording. Um, and I was just like, oh, let me take a look. And who should be at the top of it? But SFFEA favorite Nana Kwame Ajibrenya Yay! for Chain Gang All-Stars, which you have been talking up and is on my to-read list. So as far as I can tell, I poked around at this list. That is the only speculative book on the list, I think. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty yeah. sure I checked all of the other ones and they were more literary fiction, which is pretty normal for this list. Um, but it was so cool to see Ajay Brenya on here. I know. I feel like, you know, I, I saw Liberty bemoaning, like, why the book didn't get more um, mm. attention or there wasn't as much chatter about it. And I definitely, if if that's the case, then I definitely don't understand it because it's such a great book. So I'm really, really glad to see it here. And it does make sense for it to be on this list because it is very like, it's satire of a timely sort. Like, Mm. I, I don't know why, but that makes me think, stuff like national book awards i imagine and hope that it'll get on other awards lists because it does like talk about and confront and explore a lot of things about our current society in a really clever and interesting and horrifying way (laughs) (laughs) too real yeah big congratulations Sajay Brenya, I I cannot be more thrilled. Awesome. Well, my last story is about something we talk about quite a lot. Um, and especially when I feel like we were just talking about this really recently, and I cannot remember what the why we were talking about it but oh we were talking we about were talking our, about covers yes, our favorite yeah. covers so a couple of places reported on this um but there is a podcast called endless thread that interviewed a author and you know a part-time amateur sleuth sarah elizabeth <laughs> uh, about the book cover art for A Wrinkle in Time. And I know there are like numerous versions of the cover of A Wrinkle in Time. The one that they're talking about is the particularly creepy 1976 paperback edition cover of Madeline Langle's classic. 
Um, mm. And it is like, I remember this cover from my own childhood. And I definitely did have a nightmare after <laughs> reading this book in elementary school. I have a very visceral memory oh. of a nightmare. And I know that this cover was part of the reason I had the nightmare because it is so ominous. Like it, you have to go see the cover if you have it, if it doesn't immediately pop into your mind, if you're not like an elder millennial or a boomer or whatever <laughs> that came across this before. But so the big story about this is that um, Sarah Elizabeth was writing a book about fantasy art and she was trying to figure out where this cover came from. Like the cover came to her. She didn't know which, which book it belonged to or whatever. And she was like, well, where is the, who is the cover artist for this? And as we bemoan many, many times, it is really difficult today even to find the names of cover artists. And back then... This podcast goes into just how difficult it was um, in the before times uh, a few years mm. back and like licensing with art and stuff like that. So Elizabeth goes on this journey to try and figure out um, who the cover artist for this was and employs the help of one of the podcast hosts of Endless Thread and Reddit and subreddits and, you know, all of the anybody who can help out and she finally finds the answer to this puzzle and I'm going back and forth on whether or not to say the name of the person because <laughs> I think like the podcast itself is really fun to listen to to get there um mm. so but you can scroll through the transcript which is which will be linked in the show notes to see who it is if you don't want to listen to the whole thing and there is also a New York Times story that kind of breaks it down and and summarizes the whole the whole thing. But it became like this big deal that, you know, they <laughs> finally figured out who the artist for this really kind of iconic cover that I think, you know, fills a lot of people who were young readers when they encountered a wrinkle in time who read this particular edition and you know had that image of the book stuck in their <laughs> mind for forever but it's a really fun podcast episode i highly recommend listening to it yeah it's such a journey i just have been reading the um transcript yeah and like you know if you because i can't process audio information very well but the transcript is a delight um, and I'm sure that it's even more fun to listen to uh, so I love all of love all of it love everything about this it's good yeah it's good glad stuff. they found the artist yeah people deserve to know who did the thing and artists deserve credit for doing the thing yeah like, it just seems so basic why is this a question <laughs> oh the mystery of the ages why <laughs> I mean, why why all right uh so our last story is um my last thing i wanted to toss in here um 
And this is actually from a little while ago, but I had it on the list of things that we should talk about someday. And here we are. It's the day. <laughs> uh, the Nerds of Color did an interview with Iman Vellani, who is uh, both now an actress who plays Miss Marvel and has written for Miss Marvel, um, which is a big deal. This was by Sophia Soto, and it is a long interview, mm-hmm. so I highly recommend you go over there and read it yourself. It's lots of fun to dip in and out of. Um, I want to note that at the time of this recording, uh, the Writers Guild and SAG-AFTRA Actors Guild are still on strike, and you don't get amazing content like this literally without actors and actors who are writers and writers who are not actors so here's hoping that the unions get uh their fair shake from the studios but so Iman who like is a double you know double threat here (laughs) has been amazing as Kamala Khan in um Ms. Marvel on Disney like I just am obsessed with her portrayal of Kamala yes so so good so when I saw that she was also writing I was like that's interesting like that's cool because not everybody can do both of those things and I know from being friends with some comics writers that like writing comics is not easy like it's really hard uh and so this was just a really fun interview you know she talks about um why Ms. Marvel means so much to her particularly and you know writing in a space where like you know people like G. Willow Wilson um and other writers have been before and including things like easter eggs and I don't know it's just a delight Villani seems like an excellent human and uh I really I just like seeing somebody who gets to play in multiple parts of the sandbox uh getting to talk about that so that's my that's my pitch for you should go read this interview (laughs) yeah I agree like I absolutely love her as Miss Marvel as well and I thought that it was great that she kept it real when she was asked like oh is writing like something you you see yourself pursuing in the future and she's like it's really hard I don't know if that (laughs) is something I'm going to do again but (laughs) but I'm really glad that she you know gave it a shot if this does become the one and only thing she writes like Mm -hmm. it's really I'm really looking forward to reading it she talks about like how she sees her own life and trajectory um, as somebody who came into the spotlight at a very young age and, you know, um, Kamala's own trajectory, how they have some parallels and how she kind of used that in writing the story. So I'm really curious about what it's going to look like, sound like, how it's going to read. And yeah. So excited that she continues to surprise and amaze. Yeah. All right. right. That's it for the news, (laughs) Ben. And Mm -hmm. let's embark on our Hitchhiker's Talk after we hear from a sponsor. And we're back. So I think... This made its way onto our ideas list because I did a big reread last year. Does that sound? Ah, 
familiar. I was trying to remember. I was like, how did this get onto our theme list? And I think that's how, because I did do a big reread last year. That makes a lot of <laughs> and sense. And a rewatch. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and so here we are. We're going to talk about <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This is the first, I mean, we've done a bunch of throwback adaptation watches like we did blade and we did willow you know um and some other sort of classic classics but we've mostly been book clubbing much newer books uh so it's kind of fun to to be talking about a, a a classic of science fiction and fantasy um so yeah i mean it is just like the rabbit hole that is hitchhiker's guide goes on oh forever um, let's start with our own background with yeah. uh, Hitchhikers. So I I got handed the book somehow, who knows how, as a teenager. It's entirely possible that my mother introduced them to us, um, or preteen actually is when it happened, uh, because she was like also the person to show me Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Like this is very her sense. sense of humor. Yes. So probably it was her. Um, and then, so I read Hitchhiker's Guide and then like somehow discovered there were like actually more books in the series. Uh, and so I went on this like full Douglas Adams, like I literally own like everything Douglas Adams ever published. I own the Dirk Gently stuff. I own, you know, his nonfiction book about endangered species that nobody else knows exists. Like I own everything by Douglas Adams. Um, and... I remember when the movie was coming out in 2005, I had just graduated college and I was very like, this is my stuff. Don't mess with my stuff. Like they're going to do a bad job. Like what if it's not good? And Adams had died not that long before. Um, and so I was very like feeling very protective of the legacy and I went to see it in the theater with like all of those baggage feelings with me. And I walked out of there being like, that was perfect. (laughs) Even though it does not map directly onto the books and it is now my gold standard for adaptations that I think capture the spirit without having to worry about the letter of the original content. That is a really good way of describing it. I I feel the same way, even as a person who came to it movie first, book mm. second, because I was introduced much later than you. I remember hearing about Hitchhiker's Guide earlier in my life, like in high school. But mm. at my high school, there were a lot of like, There was a lot of like nerd culture, but it was, you know, the type of nerd culture you expect from the 90s. It was very like dude heavy. They were very like gatekeeper-y about their stories and especially in the world of science fiction. And I just remember learning about The Hitchhiker's Guide and Douglas Adams by way of like inside jokes they would have with Mm. each other and stuff like that and I don't know it sort of rubbed me the wrong way and especially out of context and heard from like you know that type of person I was like I'm not gonna like this I'm right you know I already don't read a lot of science fiction and I am happy with my fantasy books I'm not even gonna try Mm. and then I don't even remember. I think that 
the way I came across the movie, which was still even later, like I did not watch it in the theater. Mm. I watched it when it was um, available, either available to rent or... Like you got it from Netflix in the mail or something. Yeah, yeah. It was like (laughs) definitely on my TV. And I think it was because somebody had was talking about it in a different way and Mm. was like, no, I think that you actually like it's I don't think it is what you think it is. Mm. Um, And so we ended up watching the movie together and then I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like, this is yeah. so funny. Like, I I was just amazed that it was actually funny and I was enjoying myself. And then I went and read the book. Um, and now I've written it. I think this is my third time reading it. So it's not that nice. many times for, like, the Douglas Adams fans. But that's, <laughs> you're not a rereader, though. So that's yeah. like a huge amount for you. That's yeah. true. That's true. Perspective. Yes. But yeah, so I was so glad that I didn't let those initial, you know, experiences ruin my ability to to get to know the work of Douglas Adams. Although I have mm. not read the rest of the series and I really I was should. just going to ask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I will say I bought when they reissued it as like a complete like set, mm-hmm. you know, it's like one giant hardcover with like gold. Tri- it looks oh, like a wow. Bible. Like it's awesome. Actually. I'm upset. I own that copy. And it's like a big honking. I mean, I also have still some of my old tiny like mass market paperbacks with like the ridiculous covers. (laughs) Um, But I do own the big honking like all in one hardcover. And I like highly like it's such a like fun thing to own. It just every every time I look at it, it like makes me giggle a little bit. (laughs) Um, So I do not actually I will say no shade to Owen Colfer. This was an impossible task to give to anybody. But he, I don't own an and another thing. I read it. I read that. And I read The Salmon of Doubt, which was based on, like, you know, Adams's unpublished six whatever, you know, manuscripts and notes. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just not the same. And that's fine. It doesn't have to be. It's okay. I'm perfectly content with, I think it's five. There's actually five books in this series that were, like, completed by... Adams. Yeah. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. So those are my, you know, personal when I reread it. But I actually, this is off topic, but I actually reread the Dirk Gently books a little bit more often. Interesting. Um, and A Long Dark Tea Time of the Soul is one of my favorite things I've ever read. So I'm, this is where I push like Douglas Adams wrote more than Hitchhikers and they're great. So I'll leave some notes in the show. Uh, I'll leave a link in the show notes um, for the Dirk Gently books, which are like, they're like um, paranormal detective mysteries. Yes. Like they're, that's what they are. <laughs> I only read one Dirk Gently book, but I really, really enjoyed it. They made, they did, I think it was HBO who adapted Dirk Gently also. <gasps> oh and I gosh, watched yes. the first episode. Remember that? And I was like, this is a no. Like, this is, I'm sorry, it's going to be a no for me, dog. Like, it was not. <laughs> 
It was not what I wanted. And that's fine, too. Like, it doesn't have to be. Um, but, yeah. I'm Anyway, okay. I've, like, taken us on the... Like, it's very hitchhikers of me to have gone on this, like, very extended <laughs> tangent. But anyway, back to the point. So, yes. So, if you, like, look at the Hitchhiker's Wiki page, it's like, oh, gosh. Like, it started off as a radio comedy on the BBC. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they made it into a TV show. And there was the text game, which I do remember playing playing actually on the internet because somebody will periodically turn it into like a web page that you can play um like you're Arthur Dent and you're like brushing your teeth like it's very fun (laughs) there's comic books like there's just so I mean it's it was adapted for the stage like truly what has it not been adapted to be there's like nothing it's wild it is so fascinating. This is it, it's interesting because there are I feel few occasions where we're talking about like a movie adaptation of a book, but also the book isn't like necessarily the original source yes. material. So it's like, oh, this is, you know, even if I was salty about the movie, which spoiler, I am not. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I don't even know how the book is versus the radio version. And I know that there were, you know, liberties taken and changes mm-hmm. made across adaptations of the various books. So, you know, Adams wasn't afraid to change up the story across formats which makes sense because not everything works right one way like you can't always make a literal adaptation of something um and I don't think like this is a particular book where it would have been so confusing to so many people I think to just like get this book in movie format because it is just it's very scattered and it doesn't like necessarily uh cling to traditional plot structure so (laughs) that's one way to put it should we should we attempt to like sum up the plot a little bit for people who haven't read it yet um or seen the movie let's see so arthur dent is where we start and he is a very like every man character sort of bumbling um very like put upon by life and uh he wakes up one morning and there's a construction crew outside his house he lives in london or england outside of london there's a construction crew outside his house they're going to demolish it to make way for a bypass and he is like losing his mind about that when his very strange friend ford prefect comes along and is like we need to go to the pub the world is ending and also we're going to hitchhike a ride on a spaceship and Arthur is like, I'm sorry, what? Um, and is just like cast out into the universe with Ford Prefect to have adventures. Uh, there's one other human who makes it off of Earth before it is destroyed and her name is Trillian and she is a scientist turned journalist. 
And she actually left Earth earlier at a party. She met a guy who was like, hey, baby, want to see the universe? Like, what a pickup line. And uh, he turns out to be a major character in the series as well. That's Zaphod Beeblebrooks. What a what a character. What a name. Um, and that's the core four. There's lots of other characters that come in and out. And there's lots of other things that happen. You get, like, in the later books, you get into, like, parallel dimensions and, like, all kinds of wacky stuff. Um, but that's... That's the core of the first book. Yeah, that was a great encapsulation. Oh, thanks. <laughs> a very bonkers all over the place <laughs> story. And I think that applies to like that basic storyline applies to both yeah. book and movie, even with like some pretty big and some smaller changes mm -hmm. with the movie. Um. So I don't know, we could talk about, you know, what we thought about the book when we came to it first, or we could just get right into talking about the movie and how, how we thought of it and how it differed from the book. Let's talk about the book for a minute, because you've got me thinking about what it was that I was so taken by. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, reading Adams in my, like, you know, I read a lot of 80s and 90s sci-fi and fantasy as a preteen and teen. So I was deeply familiar with, like, you know, Asimov and, like, the mm -hmm. other giants of, and, you know, I had read some Terry Pratchett, I think, by that point. Uh, there, you know, all of the big names. I had at least tried them out, if not read them extensively and I think Adams was my first encounter in a sci-fi that was funny that didn't feel mean like there's mm. there was you know some very like snarky silly sci-fi and fantasy out there but I think what I've always loved about Douglas Adams's work is that it has such a beating heart um and you just like, like, he's so funny without ever being mean. And he like is such a way to uh, illustrate the foibles and shortcomings of humanity and like make you laugh so hard about it. And also you're like, yep, that's us. We're <laughs> not good at that. We're not good at life. Like we're not good at life. Um, and this is what it looks like when we try to like pretend that we are good at it. Like and we fail repeatedly. So I just I really valued that as a teenager who was deeply disillusioned with like mm. the world as I was finding it. I was like, oh, you know, I had a pretty sheltered childhood, and as I started to like see more of the world, I was like. Hmm, WTF, like this is not. Uh, so I like I'm looking back on it, I think that was what made it like it was not only like so like ridiculous and like out there, but also like he really had a a, a big heart and compassion and empathy for humanity's shortcomings, even while like making you laugh at how ridiculous we are. Yeah, that is such a great point I hadn't thought about it like that but I absolutely agree like I love to read you know especially these days a lot of feel-good science fiction mm. and when it can be feel-good and funny it's like a beautiful thing and I don't yes. think a lot of science fiction books do broach that territory mm -hmm. at least not 
as successfully. Um, And I think it's interesting. You mentioned like Terry Pratchett and I always think of Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett similarly because Mm -hmm. I think that they both have a philosophical leaning in their writing in their, you know, as funny as it is, there are also like, some pretty you can tell that they have some deep thoughts and they want to like share them and like this really um abbreviated but effective way and it's also funny that both of them kind of like lampoon philosophers a lot in their work (laughs) like there is definitely a moment in hitchhiker's guide where philosophers are kind of like the butt of the joke yeah and i think it's so fascinating because i'm like you are obviously a philosophical mind you're thinking (laughs) about these big ideas and things like that and exploring them in really interesting and fun ways and i um i am always looking for books like hitchhiker's guide and i think there have been a few that have come along that are Mm -hmm. at least comped with hitchhiker's guide and it it doesn't like it never quite gets there for me but it's really hard because yes this is a sort of singular work and Mm -hmm. i'm i'm just really glad that I got to read it and I have more of it to read. I'm almost hesitant to get into the next (laughs) books because I'm like, oh, I still have unexplored Hitchhiker's Guide territory to get into. And that's exciting. But they are so weird. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So strange. Yeah. I mean, strange I can do. Yeah, but that's a great point about the philosophical underpinnings, too. You're absolutely right. And I did find that so comforting and, like, also um, provocative, like, to think about. There are just these great call-outs to, like, you know, yeah, like, what are we doing yeah. here? And, like, you know, the, I mean, the the chestnut is, you know, what is the answer to life, the universe, and everything, right? Yeah. too. And you're like, uh-huh, that skins. <laughs> um, so, like, but, yes, there's lots of drops in there of life and moral and ethical philosophy that are, like, hilarious and, yes, a very thought-provoking. So it's a good, it's a good point, too. Well. So, yeah, the movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, To take this book that was already hugely popular by way of perhaps, I don't know how much more popular, I'm guessing it was very, very popular in England, in the UK Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, the BBC radio shows and things like that, but already had attracted quite a lot of attention. Um... And then to take it and make it into a film in 2005, so many mm-hmm. years after it was originally aired on the, it originally aired on the radio and the novel had mm-hmm. come out and a few years, uh, the movie was actually released in 2005. Adams passed away in 2001. Um, and it went through a few, it, it had a journey as a lot of like, movies do especially movies that already had a legacy attached to them 
Mm. And reading about, you know, how it came to be and the setbacks and people like kind of abandoning the show and the idea reminded me a little bit of The Princess Bride and yeah. William Goldman's attempt to get that turned into a movie and how difficult it was. But it did finally happen. Uh, Garth Jennings was attached as the director and Garth Jennings did sing and sing too and some other movies. And they got this amazing star-studded cast. Yes. Because it's so such a big book with such a legacy. One second, I have to cough. Yeah. Oh, okay. <coughs> okay. Because it has such a big legacy. And I didn't realize when I read the book, I didn't know all the history of this story and of Douglas Adams. So I was really surprised by the cast, which includes Martin Freeman as Arthur, Sam Rockwell as Afod, uh, Yasin Bey, uh, previously known as Mostef as Ford. And I never know how to pronounce her name. And should have. I, I think it's Zoe. Zoe. I think it's Zoe. Yeah. Zoe Deschanel is Trillion. And so many more, so many more actors. Um, yeah. But I just like, I think that they did a really good job considering what they had to work with. And I know mm. that that is in great part because Douglas Adams played a big part in actually putting the screenplay together and knew how to translate between formats. I think that mm. I think that that has to do that has a lot to do with it. What do you think? That's probably right. Yeah, I thought for the most part, you know, once I had seen it, I was like sold on most of the casting. I was originally very thrown by Yasin Bey as Ford Prefect. I was like, <laughs> what? Like, too young, like not the vibe, like what? But then he's such a good Ford Prefect, actually. Like this is where it gets into like, it's, you know... In the same way that uh, Star Trek has, like, the Kelvin-verse, there's, like, the original, you know, universe, and there's, like, this, like, other, you know, parallel version of all of the characters, and that's where all of this stuff happens. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's what this is. Like, this is, you know, a different... In a different, you know, timeline or parallel dimension, like <laughs> Yazin Bay, one hundred percent, like Ford Prefect, yes, good. Um, and the only and like Sam Rockwell was perfect for Zephod, so like Martin Freeman was perfect for Arthur, like yes. so so on the spot. Um, they really did. I don't understand what happened with Trillian's character. You know, she wasn't a scientist. Yeah. She was like. Just sort of, I mean, Zoe Deschanel has done great stuff. And then also sometimes I find her a little milk toast, mm. for lack of a better word. Um, and like Trisha slash Trillian in the books has a bite. Like yes. she has a real bite. And that did not make its way into the movie. And that was a bummer for me. Because you only have one, really, you only have one visible woman in the whole movie. And like that's a lot to ask of anyone 
but they just really sidelined that character. So, yeah, I we both put that in the notes as like that was kind of a disappointment for us. And I had also, while I was watching the movie, there is one other woman. And of course, she says she's like in the the movie. I don't, I'm pretty sure she's not in the book, but she's like the vice president or something of the galaxy. Oh, right. And of course, she's a jealous woman who is upset about, you know, Trillian and Zaphod being together and trying to get, like Mm -hmm. being like an almost maternal figure for Zaphod, like trying to get him out of trouble and get him back to do his, you know, presidential duties or whatever. (laughs) And I just thought that was kind of like that and Zoe Deschanel's um, version of Trillian, which isn't her, like, this was how the character was written for the movie. Yes. It's not her part. Yeah, it's not. Um, But I think that, you know, this adaptation also really leaned in to the romance brewing between Mm. Trillian and Arthur. And I don't know if like, I, there are ways to do that without losing, you know, Trillian's bite. Like I think she still could have been the character we got in the book. Um, But that just didn't pan out. And Mm. because there was so much more of the, you know, Trillian as a love interest who's kind of like uh, fleeting and unpredictable and Mm -hmm. hard to get, it just like kind of turned that character into something else for me. And I wasn't like very satisfied yeah manic pixie space girl yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. i you know and this is this is also you know the books it's so interesting because there are significant female characters in the books as a whole Mm. um and trillian does have a really intense actually an interesting storyline um later on in the books but like also every female character who gets to have like a full role like none of them get happy endings and like not for nothing like nobody in these books gets a happy ending yeah but like the tragedy visited upon the female character seems to be to be a little extra um and uh i think that's just a you know a product of all kinds of obvious things um, and is a perpetual bummer to me. Uh, <sighs> it's a little bit better in the Dirk Gently books, actually, I will say. Well, that's good to know as I, yeah. if I get more into the Dirk Gently books because. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Not like hugely, but a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love a female character and I love it when, you know, I have seen, I, I read a lot more authors who are not men and it's because I love non-men characters so much but I have I've seen it done well and I just wish it could have been better yeah in this franchise but here's a question for you yeah do you think 
you would welcome another remake. Like, it's been, what, 18 years since this came out? Like, you could do it again. I think... I think you could, like, it has definitely passed the timeline where, you know, it's not too soon. And it would be cool for younger people. I don't know how much um, The Hitchhiker's Guide has made it into, like, Gen Z territory. It's a good point. So I would be curious about a different, a new adaptation. Um, But I am also nervous when I think about it. (laughs) I'm like, oh no, would they just like, because Adams is no longer around to sort of guide the thing. Yeah. And I wonder if they would just change it so much that it would be unrecognizable because Mm. I don't know, maybe maybe they can't figure out a way to make it really new and really approachable to younger audiences. My hope is that they could like use the novels and, you know, even the radio yeah. production to create something um and that Gen Z and young people in general would just love it because it's great but right right i don't know i don't know how it would work out i would definitely be skeptical like you were when this (laughs) came out (laughs) it would be hard it would be very hard i think because you know the movie was so good yeah Um, and i just can't like it's a lot you would have to i think you're right you would have to take like some of the stuff from the later books and there is actually like a wealth of material in there that you could have a lot of fun with including other characters who could be centered um, and spun off uh, in a really satisfying way so um, I'm thinking of random in particular uh, who you know if you know you know but I don't want to spoil anything for those of you who don't so uh, (laughs) but it's an interesting thing to think about it's an interesting thing to think about I could see it happening. Like, I could see even, I think there was discussion. I'm, like, pulling up what I remember from my background reading a moment ago. And I think there was discussion of a TV series that was in the work, like, in 2019 Mm. or something. And then, you know, the pandemic hit. And it was supposed to start up again in 2021. But I have literally not heard anything about it. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen anymore. Well, and considering what's going on right now, we're not going to hear about it for a while. It's (laughs) going to be a while. So, yeah. Yeah. But what we have is great. So there's that. Yeah. I, I mean, I really enjoyed the movie. And even some of the changes to the story... But particularly John Malkovich as yeah. Hamakavula, which is like Hamakavula. I can only hear his name yes. as like Zayfon's second head yeah. screaming it. Yeah. <laughs> Too real. But it was so good. Like he is, he makes for such a great like cult leader, and the whole like <laughs> the whole foundation of this religion is like thinking that civilization or life as we know it is going to be like 
blown away into a Kleenex. Like that was so preposterous and hilarious. And it was just so enjoyable, even though it was not in the book. Yes. You know. Yes. Yeah. Was there anything you liked that was very different? Uh, no, I think my favorite bits were the bits were the same, honestly. Like, I love that Slarda Bartfest got such a big role because Bill Nye is He's incredible. so good. <laughs> He's so good. And, like, the combo of, like, Warwick Davis's body work and then Alan Rickman's yes. voice as Marvin <laughs> um, is just, like, chef kiss perfect. So, yeah, I... I yeah I just I think I was I I didn't I like I was totally fine with most of the changes they made because I was like yep that's fine like you're doing something different but you're retaining the spirit of the original so like knock yourself out but I was just because I had such a long history with the books it was like oh my gosh this I know this bit like this is the bit yeah (laughs) the whale and the pot of geraniums this is Slarda Bartfast like talking about fjords like it's just like delightful (laughs) this I mean oh you know I will say my favorite thing actually is how they did the heart of gold uh drive where you know they like turn into the yarnies or like yes. whatever like things are just like going like wildly weird like that is a really weird part of the book and when you read it you're like yeah how would you do it exactly like the book you can't so I think that the way that they played with it was really fun that was yes the improbability uh yeah I forgot the full name of it but yeah, yes it was so I really enjoyed those scenes, like the mixed media stuff in general, between the puppetry and those scenes, and then the animations for the Hitchhiker's Guide moments, Mm. like Chef's Kiss. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could talk about this forever, (laughs) and I literally did lose track of time, but now I'm realizing that we need to close things up here. We do. (laughs) But I hope that anybody out there who hasn't either read the book or seen the movie will give one or both, I would recommend Mm. both, I'm sure we both would, a chance. Uh, because it is just like, if you just want to be delighted and entertained and completely taken out of reality, mm-hmm. it's a good one. Mm-hmm. So that's it for today's show. SFF Yeah is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks for to her for making us sound great each and every episode. For more recommendations, you can check us out at bookride.com. And you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us your ideas for upcoming episodes, your thoughts on the hitchhiker's guide, whatever, pet pictures. We love it all at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, please do review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. It does help people find us and we appreciate it. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? Yeah, I am on Blue Sky and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J E N N I R L. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at S Sign of Williams. That's S C A I N A B Williams. And we'll talk to y'all next time. Bye.